You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Guys, good morning. Mark, Caitlin, and Patrick. This is our 46th and final podcast for 2020. What a year it has been. The the things we have talked about this year, I know the four of us and our audience thought we'd never discuss in in our lifetimes, but wow, what a year. So 12 days to go. (laughs) So um, Patrick gave each of us an assignment last week after our podcast, which was to take a Christmas carol and uh, give it political lyrics, if you will. So that's, that's where we're going to start today. Now, Mark and I actually did the assignment because when our millennial team, Mark gives us an assignment and you and I do it. We are good students. We take this stuff seriously. The millennials, not so much. So, so who would like to go first? Patrick, you didn't, Give us your Christmas carol. So I was focused on uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and it was brought to mind uh, with President-elect Biden's pick of Pete Buttigieg. It was widely reported this week that uh, former White House Chief of Staff and Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel uh, pushed very hard uh, to try and get the nod for for DOT. Um, But received major pushback from progressives, uh, African-Americans and labor unions, which in the democratic party, uh, you can't have all three of those groups against you. Well, isn't that the democratic party, Patrick? (laughs) It's a, it's a good chunk of it. Um, so it didn't ultimately work out. I think he would have liked, uh, another act, uh, given how his mayoral tenure in Chicago ended, but, uh, it, it was not to be so. I'm sure there's still other opportunities, maybe U.S. ambassador to Israel or or something like that. But um, but for DOT, it was not to be. That was a very it, substantive version. That, that, that was. There, Mark, there you go next. There, was, there wasn't much rhythm to that, <laughs> but, but lots of good points. Mark, give us your – we know this is going to be biting, so give it to us. Oh, yeah. Shockingly, it is a bit partisan. And shockingly, it is not nearly as substantive as Patrick's insightful analysis. But this is called Donald the Orange-Nosed President. (laughs) Donald the Orange-Nosed President had a very shiny face. And if you ever saw him, you'd ask, how did we ever get to this place? (laughs) All of the other presidents used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Donald join in any world leader games. Then one foggy inauguration night, Santa Biden called to say, Donald, with your nose so bright, won't you just go away tonight? And how the people loved that as they shouted out with glee, Donald, the orange-nosed president, you're the worst in history. <laughs> wow. Outstanding. Very good. Drop, very good. I'll drop the mic. Should I drop the new mic here? Very, very good. Caitlin. 
Well, gosh, you're going to make me follow that. Um, mine is pretty simple. Love some Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is for Congress to pass a COVID relief bill. Well, you're going to get your way. I think I am. Uh, the, the, it looks like last night they passed a two-day spend, um, spending stopgap spending bill so that they can continue negotiations throughout the weekend. Everyone's up there today working, and I'm glad to see that they're making some momentum on that. Yeah. Well, they're passing, by the way, a Republican relief bill. Yeah, one that they Patrick. should have passed and could have passed months ago. That by is- the way, to your point about not uh, not doing our homework, uh, I was thinking back to when I was a student. I would love if I could have gotten two day extensions on pretty much every assignment. <laughs> I, I think I did. Um, <laughs> all right. My turn. My turn. Twas the night before the election. Went all through the land. Not a Trumpster was mailing, not even by hand. Democratic ballots were sent by the thousands with care in hopes that Joe Biden soon would be there. The Democrats assumed the election was theirs with visions of Chuck and Nancy passing more cares. But out in the country, Republicans arose with a clatter Other than Joe Biden, their vote sure did matter. Away from D.C., the Donald will go. The future is much like Obama 2.0. In 2021, the White House will be decorated and life will renew. But no, Mark, contrary to your predictions, the country's not blue. Let's get rid of COVID and put it out of reach and say goodbye to Donald and his solution of bleach. We wish you happy holidays and hope you come back for more. No, not you, Donald. It's not yet 24. <laughs> that was great. That's perfect. That was perfect. How are you, Win? That's my contribution. That was very good. Funny and true. There you go. There you go. So, all right, so let's get into it. Interesting week, fascinating week, I think, as far as uh, Biden's picks for his cabinet are concerned. Um, Patrick, give us give us an overview and give us your take. Yeah, I think the the three there were multiple announcements on personnel. I think the three biggest ones were Pete Buttigieg for transportation, Jennifer Granholm for energy and Gina McCarthy uh, coming in to play a a White House-based role on climate. I would say the biggest one that didn't get announced was Attorney General, and there's a lot of interesting backstory and speculation about why uh, that one of the big four cabinet picks is taking a little longer. Um, In some ways, I'm glad because I think it's the most important. Um, But it it was uh, definitely... (laughs) I think from my perspective, a better week uh, in terms of the picks than, than the previous week. And part of that is is uh, a big part of that, I think, is Mayor Pete. There was just a lot of excitement about him during the campaign. I don't make absolutist statements very often, but I think uh, absolutely that Pete Buttigieg is the best communicator uh, in the Democratic Party today. Um, I don't think there's anyone else who communicates what the Democratic Party stands for better than he does or more effectively than he does. Um, And that includes the president and vice president elect. 
And I think there was a lot of excitement about finding a role for him. And I think that, you know, with Department of Transportation, certainly not the sexiest cabinet position uh, there is, but a lot of opportunity to work on a big, important domestic policy issue. And as we talked about earlier this week, Howard, I think, uh, you know, there were some folks saying, well, Department of Transportation, gee, I thought he'd get something bigger. You know, in this case, he's going to elevate the department just by nature of who he is. He is a bona fide political celebrity. Um, There is a lot of interest, both from the public and the press, about him uh, and his life and his ambitions and goals and all that stuff. And I think he's going to be the most prominent transportation secretary we've seen in, in some time. Uh, Patrick, you you actually know him. You were involved in his campaign. You know his people. So give us some more insight. I mean, how is he going to, you know, in, infrastructure is an enormous issue for, for the country. How is he going to try to move that ball forward that everybody always talks about, but where things don't actually get done. Absolutely. Well, I think the, the final sort of decision from, from, you know, what everyone's read and kind of some of the inside baseball, it sounds like it was really choosing between a high profile ambassadorship, like uh, going to China and staying here and working on domestic policy. And I think, uh, you know, he wanted to remain kind of visible here in the U S and he felt that this cabinet pick would give him uh, a good issue set to, to work on. I think he's going to come at this from the perspective of, uh, you know, a Midwest mayor. I think he will uh, admit uh, freely that he's got a lot to learn, um, but he's a pretty quick study. And I imagine he is just like he did, you know, during the campaign, he's going to be out publicly articulating the Biden administration's plans for reinvigorating infrastructure and transportation in the United States. And I think he will be a very public face on Joe Biden's plan uh, to sort of rebuild uh, American infrastructure. I mean, it's it's striking to me, Mark, he, he took, <laughs> he was the mayor of a city of 102,000 people. And there are more than half that many employees in the Department of Transportation alone. Yeah. He had a $350 million budget in, in South Bend, Indiana, and he's got a $72 billion budget at the Department of Transportation. It's striking how much this guy has done with talent, but you know his platform has been very small and he's just taken it very, very far. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. He was elected uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, with 26,000 votes. That's how many votes he got to get his first and only elected office. And now, as you say, he is in what I, I agree with Patrick will be a very prominent position. I think it's interesting on a uh, party political note last week, Patrick, uh, I, I thought interestingly pointed out that even though Vice President-elect Harris has been missing from the stage, so have all of her potential opponents for the presidency should Joe Biden not serve in 2024. Well, one of them just showed up in town in, in a big way. And I think he is, is going to be a great voice, uh, as Patrick says, but also a moderating voice. He he is not Bernie Sanders at transportation. So it, it was 
I think a, a very important pick. I, I think also, Howard, equally important last week in the picks, I think, and, and Patrick mentioned one of these, but you have the Biden climate team. He rolled out interior and uh, EPA, energy, the uh, Council on Environmental Quality, uh, Gina McCarthy and Ali Zaidi as climate advisors. This was a package. They weren't presented piecemeal as standalone assignments. He is approaching climate, as we've said before on this podcast, as second only to COVID on his agenda and in a very integrated, uh, holistic, administration-wide way. And I think not only were the picks very good, but I think the, the presentation of this as a team to tackle mm-hmm. this issue was, was very telling. Caitlin, thoughts? Um, I think just going back to Mark's earlier point about, you know, all of the opponents to a potential Harris run being out of Washington until this Buttigieg pick. um, It's also it's an issue where he can score some bipartisan wins. And we, you know, infrastructure is something that Leader McConnell has said he also wants to do right out of the gate. And I think it's going to be um, an it's interesting to watch and a very high profile high statured position for him and a place where we're going to see some real bipartisan movement. And let's be clear about the dynamic too, you know, cause there's going to just be endless speculation and, and I'm sure we'll have a million stories to read throughout the first term. You know, mayor Pete is a really good guy. He isn't looking to piss the vice president elect off and try and get into some turf war with her uh, around some future presidential campaign that's years away. Uh, both of them will be paying close attention to their political prospects, and they're obviously at entirely different perches and in uh, different jobs. Uh, and, and, and they're very different ages. She's 18 years older than he is. He's yes. 38 years old. You know, I think I mean, Patrick, the- you still have a chance to be secretary of transportation. <laughs> yeah, that's would fulfill my lifelong dream, Howard. I'm glad he brought He's, that up. Patrick's too identified with Rom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they listen, different life experience, different ages. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, similar to Amy Klobuchar and others during the campaign, she she expressed her annoyance uh, a number of times with all of the fawning attention that Pete Buttigieg got during the campaign. And look, I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure she's going to be paying attention uh, to what's going on and what he's doing. But he's not going to come in and try and, you know, he, he's a very smart, wise guy for, for his age and, and for anyone's age. And he's just, he's going to come in and try and do as, as good a job he can in, in this role that he's been, been chosen for. It's um, I, I think one of the most interesting aspects of the picks this week um, were the EPA and interior picks um, a, a young African-American environmental regulator from North Carolina and a, a Native American first-term congresswoman uh, from, I think, New Mexico. Um, do I have that right? To, to, to lead um, Interior. Yes, I do have that right. Yeah. Um, like environmental justice is front and center on the agenda. And, and those picks are noteworthy, not just for 
climate, but for, look, there it, it's perceived injustice. And um, we do a lot of work um, as, as obviously the three of you know, we do a lot of work in, in front of the EPA. And I don't think that um, the incoming EPA administrator, I mean, I think he's somebody that folks will be able to talk to. I think he's reasonable and rational and he's coming from a, a Southern state um, where, you know, you, you don't generally see things on, on the extremes. Um, but it, I think it says a lot about, to me, that more than some of the other picks about the way Biden is thinking about his cabinet, like, you know, they, there are disproportionate impacts in certain communities from an environmental perspective. And, and I think it's, I, I think it's, they're interesting picks. Yeah. I, I think Howard, you're onto something uh, because like climate, I think president elect Biden intends the issue of inequality and disparity to be pervasive. In, in his administration, he is looking for for two questions to be asked in every policy and political situation. What's the effect of this on climate and what's the effect of this on social and racial inequity and inequality? Those those picks are part of the pervasive approach that he has taken to these issues. And, Look, I mean, and I think great picks. yeah, I mean. Look, in our practice, obviously, we're generally representing corporate interests and, and our issues are not, you know, the issues we're handling, are, they, they're not these heady environmental justice. I mean, those those are principles that emerge from a series of of decisions that that government makes. And there there are inequities out there. It's why people are so pissed off there. And they're not just African-American or Native American. There are all sorts of inequities and it's in everybody's best interest, corporate America, um, politicians, everybody that society be fair and just and, and equally represented. And, and so I think, I think he, I think Biden knows that and gets that and, uh, it was a good week. Yeah, we're, we're in a post Flint, Michigan. Right. It's Flint. Environment. Flint, it's Flint was the pivotal event in environmental affairs in this country in the last decade. And this is all of a piece with that. Yeah. And, and I don't see that as a Republican versus Democratic issue at all. Um, People have to have confidence in government. Governing is really hard. And unless you feel like your perspective and a diversity of views are represented in government, you don't have faith in government striking the right balance. And, and you know, having, having been in government, um, it's, I just think it's really important. And, and, I think they've been in they've been impressive picks. So, is that an A plus hour? I, I give them a solid A this week. I give them a, a better, solid A. Better week. Yeah. And we should right and we shouldn't overlook Jennifer Granholm too. Just real quick, Howard. She, you know, uh, to my point about Mayor Pete as a talented <laughs> communicator. 
so is uh, Governor Granholm. She is a excellent, excellent communicator. Um, and I think someone who will be a more public secretary of energy than we've probably seen in a little while, just given her, her talent and ability to synthesize things and communicate with the general public. Yeah. Well, she, she has tremendous street cred from saving the auto industry with an assist from Howard Schweitzer at TARP. But that, that event has really placed her in a very popular position in, in the Democratic Party. Victory has a thousand fathers. Failure is an orphan, Mark. <laughs> so, so I want to put, I want to switch gears and put another topic out there, which is Trump refusing to leave or threatening not to leave or threatening to call in the military to redo elections in certain states. And we put out our weekly note, Co's and Currents, that hopefully uh, our listeners are getting and reading. And uh, we welcome any feedback. This week, we put one out and I got a lot of responses from people that we weren't doing the public discourse justice because we weren't talking in there about Trump's refusal to leave. Now, my view is that, first of all, we're not covering the news in there. We're trying to cover key points Um three key issues that are that are circulating that people should factor into their business planning. And, and so it's not a place to talk about that. But but that aside, my personal view has been don't give it oxygen because it's it's just it's a bunch of nonsense. And at the end of the day, it isn't going to it isn't going to happen. He's not going to stay come by hook or by crook, he's <laughs> emphasis on the crook. He's he's out of there. Um, but should we be talking about it, Caitlin? Should we should we be talking about about this because it's it is undermining democratic principles. I see it as a sideshow. There's a, there was a lot that happened this week. You know, the, the electoral college certified the results. We learned of a massive hack of our government, another major Russian hack that we still don't know the full extent of. We started vaccinating the first Americans against this horrible disease that we've been facing for the past nine plus months. And I'm personally very disappointed with the lack of leadership that we're seeing. You know, Donald Trump is still the president through um, the end of January and, and through Inauguration Day. And he has just been so silent on such a big, important week when so much is happening. And it's disappointing. I don't want to give it oxygen. I think it, it's a sideshow. Um, we need to focus on moving forward as a country. And that's where I stand on it. Patrick, what do you think? I want to give it a little oxygen, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, by the way, I've seen, I've seen some guys at bars in Chicago at 2 AM try to not leave and it typically doesn't work out very well. So I'm, I'm curious to see what, uh, <laughs> him staying put afternoon on the 20th looks like, but it's kind of, I mean, it is a sideshow. I think it's kind of funny, not funny, uh, in the way that um, funny because everyone knows it's, it's impossible. It's not funny that you have a chief, chief executive ta talking like that in the midst of a transition. Um, but it is interesting. I feel like this is the type of thing that both sides 
both extremes of both parties love. I think there are hardcore rah-rah Trump people that are that are rooting for him to call in the military or try to not leave. And I think there's a lot of people on the left that would love to see him get physically removed from the building. So I think, I think, uh, and then there's the rest of us in the middle who are just like, when is this going to be over? Uh, yeah, Mark. I agree with Caitlin. Uh, wow. Wow. Newsflash, newsflash, breaking news. That's year end. Holidays are getting too close. Everyone's getting too warm and chummy on this. Mark's pocket. been drinking too many hot toddies. <laughs> things to be talking about in this country. The fact that Trump has completely abdicated the presidency is enormously dangerous for the country, although I might rather have him doing nothing than doing what he has done for four years. But the thing to me that is astonishing about the this story is he didn't even say it. The the report, all we know is that somebody said anonymously to some media source that Trump was breaking China and the White House and threatening not to leave. To, To turn that into a matter of national concern and and debate is exactly what's been wrong with media coverage of this man since since the beginning move on Coase and Kearns had it right move on yeah is it going to change when he's gone Howard you've we've talked about this in the past just I I think the media these guys are addicts they they will not be able to stop because he is going to give them the fix that they want that Biden's not going to give them and I don't think it's going to get 24 7 coverage the way it has when he's been in office but the idea that that the the pious media is just ready to move back to a a simpler time of statesmanship. And no, they aren't. They, they want viewers and ratings and they're also personally interested by the sideshow. So I think they're going to keep covering it. And just to add, just to add to that, I also, I actually, I do not believe he's not going to leave the white house on January 20th. That's what I meant when I, I agree the media is sort of inflaming the story a bit. And I think everything's going to be just fine. He might not show up at the inauguration, but that's another story. He's the secret service is rooting for him to be there at noon on January 20th. So they can carry him over to Black Lives Matter Plaza and dump him. Not gonna happen. I don't, Mark, I don't think the Secret Service is is. I know you're joking, but I I don't. But I don't. But I wouldn't assume that the Secret Service wants him out of there. Like, can't we just let these two guys just slug it out on the South Lawn, just old school? You know, just let up. Just let them go at it. Uh, it's been quite a, uh, period. And I personally am, I personally am, am not really paying attention to it. I don't want to give it oxygen. Um, Let I, I just point out, and this is the, yeah. this is the problem with the Trump era. We have just spent 10 minutes talking about how we shouldn't be talking about this. Right. Right. Okay. Very true. What Trump has I, done to the debate in this country. I, I totally agree, though, on the media point, as, as you've heard me say before, the media created this guy. The media will has perpetuated this guy. He's it's a it's a mutual admiration society. They 
use one another. And the media has used the hell out of him for, for TV and ratings and, and eyeballs and clicks. And he's used the hell out of the media. And that's what's been going on here for the last four years. And, and it will continue in some form. He'll probably become the media um, and fine, let him take him and all his loyalists over to one America news or, or, or Newsmax. Even they're uh, admitting uh, he lost at this point, Howard. Mark and I have actually been on Newsmax, which I'm embarrassed to admit. Got our start in media. That's right. That's right. That's where we broke in. <laughs> um, a former congressman who was at least polite, a little loony, but polite. So the good old days. So, all right. And, and obviously the news of the week, the vaccine. Thank Trem- God. Thank God. <laughs> Mark, you sent me a picture this morning. Yeah, I did. The most hopeful photograph on my phone for 2020 is my friend Roger Band, Director of Emergency Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, getting the vaccine for 10 months. He has every day that he has gone to work, which has been almost every day, been COVID facing, as as we say in the business. And he told me he got the vaccine on Thursday and cried. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I I think you just talk to friends and people, you know, my entire social media feed, I feel like this week was uh, friends from from my whole life were nurses and doctors posting pictures of them getting the vaccine. It was pretty emotional to see because these are not people who have been uh, posting a whole lot about their lives throughout the last year. It was sort of like these pictures popped up and then it came to mind what they've been dealing with all year. I mean, these people have been just walking into the fire and it's, it's really, it was a really, really powerful image. It's thank God for those people. Thank God for your friend, Mark. Thank God. I mean, thank goodness that these people who have been like putting on PPE and on the front lines and saving lives as many as we've lost. It's, I mean, it's just been such a shocking year, and and thank goodness this thing is rolling. Out. These things are rolling out. The second one was approved yesterday, the Moderna vaccine, and and hopefully they'll be in circulation soon. And I look, if we're gonna dump on Trump, we've also gotta praise him, Caitlin. He, you know, this has happened on his watch. The bad stuff. He's, and I screwed, he's royally screwed up the virus, but they have um, delivered on the vaccine. Yep. They rolled back a lot of barriers to ensure that we could speed this process along and, and have several contenders in the marketplace. And yes, it was incredibly impressive. And that's just another example of this administration stomping all over its own message. Right. Right. I mean, shocking. You know, it's, it's going to be interesting. We're getting tons of questions from our clients and our employment lawyers are getting these questions um, uh, about the, the um, legality of requiring employees to be vaccinated, which to me is really interesting. And, and by and large, the government has said, yes, you can require your employees to be vaccinated and you can fire them if they don't take it subject to certain nuances and limitations and 
things like disability protection and, and religious affiliation and, and things like that. Um, it's, th those are really interesting issues. We're getting lots of questions about getting to the front of the line, whether you can have your workers identified as, um, essential workers and, and get the vaccine earlier, obviously healthcare comes first, but what comes next, those questions remain, remain answered. The Hopefully, CDC has yeah. a big meeting tomorrow to try to determine who's going to be in the next tranche to receive the vaccine. There's, there's a lot of conversations happening this weekend about that. Yeah. And they are, or I should say, but they are advisory not prescriptive. And so they make recommendations and, and the states, but, but it's really at the end of the day, largely up to the states. Yeah. That's my understanding. And I think that's right. Uh, I, by the way, I, I personally believe that podcast participants are essential workers and uh, I'm rooting for that to be uh, included in the next tranche, but the dominant story of the first quarter of 2021 is going to be prioritization of the vaccine. That is on everybody's mind. It's a very hopeful problem to have, but, but it is nonetheless a problem. And again, you're going to see the fault lines. The virus has yes. the fault lines in healthcare, in employment, uh, in in technology and and you're about to see the biggest fault line of all in the prioritization uh, of this vaccine. I'm sure all of you have experienced like we have just the huge debates in local communities around schools reopening <clears throat> uh, in person versus online and what the reception will be uh, for teachers uh, getting an opportunity to get this in priority fashion, I can I can already see uh, there being some debate about that, uh, and it it will it will be interesting to Mark's point in the fault lines. There, the frontline healthcare workers is such a no brainer, and there's really no reasonable debate around that. There will be cultural debates, I think, over who some of the next groups are and how people view uh, different groups of people based on where they live and their life experience. I think that will be interesting too. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we're wrapping up 2020 and, uh, thanks to, thanks to each of you for, uh, making it a great year in our, in our business and, and at our firm and, um, and on, on our podcast, let's, let's end with one interesting memory, one defining memory from 2020 and one wish for 2021. Mark. Well, my defining memory for podcast purposes is February 29th leap year, of course, because it had to be something bizarre for 2020 when it was the old world pre-COVID, but only by a couple of days. And we didn't even know that it was everywhere already. I was, Sue Ellen and I were out of the country for certainly the last time in 2020 <laughs> and for a while and watching on CNN International as Joe Biden, who had finished fourth in Iowa, fifth, fifth in New Hampshire, a distant second in Nevada, as Joe Biden won half 
the votes in South Carolina. And overnight, he went from worst to first overnight. And it, it was over. Two days later, Pete and Amy and Beto endorsed him on a stage in, in Texas. And Super Tuesday was March 3rd and done, gone. He went in the month of February from nowhere, nowhere uh, with no prospects to the nominee and now the president-elect. That, that was a, a memory for the political ages. What's a wish, Mark? What do you wish for? I mean, I, we're all going to wish for the same thing, but go ahead. Calm. Okay. I, I wish for calm in this country. I wish, obviously, the vaccine and, and COVID and the economy and jobs and more. But I think this country needs to take a deep breath, take a step back. And if everybody and everything can just calm down, we'll figure our way out of the rest of it. Patrick. Like Mark, uh, trying to uh, look at the arc of the year, uh, it, we talk about it sometimes on this podcast, but a memory that's that seems like a lifetime ago is that the year started uh, with the impeachment of a U.S. president that has completely been. <laughs> exactly. Um, and ended uh, or is ending with a uh, vaccine to combat a global pandemic, the likes of which we we haven't seen uh, in, in a very long time. And I certainly haven't seen in a world as in a, interconnected as, as the world we're all living in is. And so that political arc to me and all the twists and turns in between that involves the election is just incredible. And in any other year, uh, the impeachment of a president would have been the defining story of that year. And people don't even really remember it happened or, or care to remember it happened, uh, which is just, I think, kind of extraordinary in the business we're all in. Um, in line with with Mark's hope, but that's certainly mine, just a, a big collective um, reset in terms of how we all kind of go about our day. And, and hopefully with a new president, you know, some of that calm will will be pushed down from the top, but also hopefully, um, you know, my longtime boss, Senator By, heard from a good friend of his in Indiana that the the two things you should focus on that will really give you fulfillment in life. Uh, and I can't believe they got it down to two, but I really, really think he nails it with this are forgiveness and gratitude. And if you as a human being can forgive others truly forgive others and be truly grateful uh, for the good things in your life. That is sort of the key to happiness. And, and I've thought about it a lot and I just think that hits it right on the head. Yeah. Caitlin. I would say defining moment of the year. I was looking at my calendar, March 10th, you know, the last sort of normal day in our, in our world where we were meeting with a client on Capitol Hill, um, having these conversations and just looking at, at how, um, pre-COVID, how, how everything looked so different and the work that we've been able to do for clients in this remote environment, being connected, being on Zooms, advocating for the CARES Act and for these critical pieces of legislation that so many of our clients who, have, who are small business owners need um, and the ability to kind of shift gears and really 
do our jobs in a completely different way in this remote environment has, has been sort of a, a defining moment. I'll find myself occasionally looking back at my calendar and saying, what was I, you know, what, what did it look like on this day in, in 2019 and just how different things are. Um, but still, it's still productive and still able to, to advocate for our clients for these really important priorities. Um, I think for me, a wish would be reopen, you know, obviously the vaccine is as we reopen, but really focusing on reopening safely and getting these businesses, um, you know, back open and functioning. I think that's going to be the key to our economic recovery. That's going to be the key to solving a lot of the unemployment crisis that we're facing and, and just looking forward to hopefully a, a healthier, happier, and more normal 2021. Yeah. For me, um, the defining memory is just, I think feeling grateful, speaking of gratitude for the fact that I had a comfortable roof over my head and a place to retreat to amidst amidst the pandemic and, and deep sadness for the people that are less fortunate and, and that didn't have that. And, and, um, and, and my wish is, and, and suffered as a result, suffering more as a result, it's not fair. And, and my wish for, for 2021 along those lines is, is fairness. Um, and I think there are ways for this country to, and, and society at large, because it's not just a U.S. phenomenon. I think there are ways for us to become more fair and just as a society without abandoning capitalism and um, the kind of core principles um, that that the American dream. I think you can have your cake and eat it, too. It's really hard to get there. It's really, really hard. And we have to grapple with serious economic issues that are uh, running through the country and the world with globalization and technology. Um, I think some of the appointments this week, as we said earlier, including Pete at, at transportation, you know, it's, it's a next generation thing. We need some next generation kind of thinking people that understand where the world is going to solve some of these enormous problems. It can't just be thinking and, and kind of business as usual. So, so I just want more fairness because I think that that's what keeps us great and, and gets us over the hump of where we need to be. And, and that's what I wish for. And guys, thank you so much for a great year of friendship and, and fun on these podcasts and, Thanks to um, our hometown podcast partners who have come along this year and, and helped us. And thanks to our colleague, Anna Suchin, who, who helps us put these, put these out and our whole team and wishing everybody a great 2021. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.